So before I say anything further, how many of you fathers have realized how much Mother's Day is the day you go out to eat? And Father's Day, you don't. I don't know what it is. Like, I always go to the restaurants on Father's Day. There's, there's plenty of openings. But I do want to say something. How many of you have mother, mothers that, that you know the only reason you're here in the church right now is because your mom? And the faithfulness that she had to you. I think of Timothy in the New Testament that Paul says his mother and his grandmother brought him to faith. We definitely need to celebrate mothers. Mothers for generations have done things sacrificially for their children. Not that fathers haven't, but we're celebrating mothers today. And so I, I for one, know that my mom, she took care of so many different things that I am still fully trying to understand in, in my life and my family's life. So um, today, even if you're not talking to your mom right now, go call her, okay? <laughs> go talk to her. And if your mom's here with you, Praise God. Definitely spend time with your mom today, whether it be on the phone, FaceTime, whatever. I just want to give you that encouragement. Well, welcome here this morning. You saw all the children up here, and we are excited. And we're starting a new series called Disillusioned. What, what to do when we doubt? Isn't that a weird series to start on Mother's Day? Trust me, you'll understand why sometimes we doubt but we can always go to our moms, right? So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed to find our digital bulletin and notes. And we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, the first book of the New Testament. And I'm going to pray here for a second. But I want you to be thinking as we go through this whole series, what is something you're doubting right now? I'm going to, I'm going to put that in your mind right now. What is something you're doubting right now? And I'm going to pray and then I'm going to go into my introduction in the passage. But what is something you're doubting? We'll kind of come back to that later. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that as we come in this building, as we watch online, as we see the, the Spirit of God move in your church, we get excited. And then we have these high highs and then we go to the next step and maybe we have a low low where we start doubting our faith or doubting what you can do in the world. When we encounter difficult circumstances, we wonder, God, why are you, what are you doing? Why aren't you changing this? God, allow us to see today in your word that we need to use our doubt to pursue you, to pursue Jesus. And there's no other way, no other way to deal with our doubt. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. Doubt. There are many times in our lives where we have doubt. We can doubt our leaders. We can doubt our family. We can doubt our spouse, our friends, even ourselves. One of the biggest struggles Christians, and, and I would say most people in general have, is doubting God. People be that believe in God still don't know what to do with feelings of doubt in their lives. Because if I tell someone I'm doubting my faith, what are they going to do about it? There's deep intellectual questions that need to be answered. Is doubting the same as not believing in God? What does it look like to have healthy doubt? Have you ever heard the term healthy doubt? There is healthy doubt. Can I take my questions and doubt to God? 
I'm hoping to answer these questions in this series. And today we're going to talk about healthy doubt. What does healthy doubt look like? I know, it's such a weird term to say healthy doubt because you don't really, you know, everyone would tell you not to doubt, but we're all going to doubt at some point. Today we might be like Robert Duvall's character in the, the movie The Apostle. And he's come on difficult times. He's lost his wife. His marriage is destroyed. His church is destroyed. And he becomes desperate and starts yelling at God, struggling to understand what to do. Let's watch this clip. That when the, the mom answered the phone, she said, sometimes he's talking to the Lord and sometimes he's yelling at the Lord. Like, I don't talk like her, but, but basically she's like, this is what he does. This is what he'd done since he was a kid. So, anyone have moments that you just want to yell at God like he did? I mean, I don't know if you go like this and you look like you're insane through the window there. But do you have moments so loud that your neighbors call you and see if you're okay? That's basically what just happened there. Or maybe, maybe the police were called because they thought you were crazy because you were talking to God, right? Isn't that what some people might think? Moments that you doubted God's plan for your life. We're in good company, if that's you. You may have thought I was going to say, well, shame on you. No, no. We're in good company, if that's you. The man that Jesus describes by saying, among those born of women, there is no, uh, women, there's been no one arisen greater. That same person that he describes that way, doubted. He struggled and wrestled with Jesus and who he thought he should be. We find this person in prison hearing more about Jesus. Much like everything had been taken away from that character in the movie, this man had nothing left. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And now I'm going to read verses 2 through 6, but we're going to go through verse, or I mean, we're going to read through verses 2 through 3, but we'll, we'll read to verse 6 in a second. Starting in, starting in verse 2, it says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Why are those two verses so important? Well, who's John here? Who's this John guy? It's definitely not me, okay? I'm not 2,000 years old. It's not me. It's John the Baptist. The one who's announcing Jesus' coming. He saw the deeds, the works of Jesus, in person. This is someone that saw what Jesus was doing. And he, the, the deeds and the works of Jesus. Look in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bible, you can go back and you can go. We find the teaching in Matthew in, ver, in chapters 5 through 7. Then we find the miracles in, verse, uh, in cha uh, chapters 8 and 9. And then we see the growing mission in chapter 10. And then we find John doubting everything. It's, it's literally a progression in history. So what did he hear that changed his mind? What made him doubt? Is this the same guy that in John 1.29 says this about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That's the same person. It is. But I think prisons change his perspective. Would prison change your perspective? He was in prison, held by Herod. And as you hear the Christmas story, Herod's a bad dude, okay? If you, if you, Herod's the guy that, that kills babies. He's held by that guy. And he's going to his death as a martyr. He's at a low point. He's wondering if Jesus is the Christ. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? 
John is thinking, is he really, is Jesus really what we've been waiting for? Why would he doubt? Well, I can give you one reason. One reason is Jesus' first prophecy about himself. What Jesus says about himself, and John's calling him out about it. It's found in Luke 4.18, where Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, what does it say there? Liberty to the captives. Jesus, why are you not freeing John if you said you're going to free the captives? John was probably taking this literally when Jesus was sent to free us from spiritual slavery. His expectation was a little bit off. Our doubt, much like John's, comes from what Jesus is not doing. You with me so far? Not from what Jesus is doing. Let me repeat that. Our doubt comes from what Jesus is not doing. Not from what Jesus is doing. We can be fine with God's blessing healing and teaching, and doubting because he's not responding in the order that we want. Imagine with me for a minute. You're with John in his cell. And we're able to think like John thinks. And we're going to hear some of what John might have been doubting about. Why did Jesus ask me to baptize him if he wasn't a sinner? It doesn't make any sense. Why didn't Jesus take the power that he was tempted by in the wilderness to help our cause? I just don't get it. I don't know why he wouldn't do that. And what's his deal with these fishermen that are following him, telling them to catch men for salvation and not judge mankind for rebellion? I can't take that kind of savior. What's with his sermon on the mountain? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. I thought he was bringing the kingdom. I don't get why he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm not praying for Herod. That's a line I'm not crossing. Why didn't Jesus head right to Jerusalem? His rightful place, the capital city. Why is he healing those people? Why did he heal a centurion's servant? He should be saving a cripple from his sin rather than saving a prostitute from hers. John had a lot of time to think. He was captive. I think that's just a small glimpse. We we don't know exactly what misgivings he had, but I can tell you there are probably more than I just mentioned because he got to the point where he said, are you the one? Are you the one? My big idea for this passage, and this is what I think is important about doubt, is that we will go through seasons of doubt, but doubt can become a time of spiritual formation. We're going to go through seasons of doubt. If you've never gone through a season of doubt, I'd love to hear how you did that. There's always seasons of doubt. Let me say that again. Much like John, we will go through seasons of doubt, but doubt can become a time of spiritual formation. Let me define that term spiritual formation. Every day that you wake up, you're being formed into something. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You will be like the five people you're around the most. So think about that for a second. And maybe there's some on that list that you don't want to be around. (laughs) Just kidding. 
John right here has his disciples that are around him, and he sends them off to Jesus. When we're being spiritually formed, it's the process of being formed to be more like Jesus day by day. John is leaning into God even as he doubts. He's inquiring of Jesus. He's still pursuing him. Did you notice that? He didn't just say to his disciples, I doubt that Jesus is the Christ. Full stop. He said, ask Jesus if he's still the Christ or there's a coming one. If there's someone else, then go. He's pursuing Jesus still. John is in a dire situation. He's waiting to be killed. He knows what's coming. That's a condition of his doubt. Are you in desperate need right now? Is this an opportunity for your faith to shine despite opposition? You should be pursuing God for answers like John. And what happens next should lead us to even more faith. I, for one, read the next three verses, and I am highly encouraged by Jesus' response. Because, think about this. This is the other person in the New Testament that was prophesied to come. That's challenging him and saying, I don't know if you're the Christ. Is there another one? Because you're not doing what I thought you were going to do. So he's doubting him. And Jesus is there and he responds with this. Starting in verse 4 through verse 6. It says, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Think about this. How many of us have people in our lives that when we doubt them and we go to them, do they respond like that? Usually they see it as a challenge. Jesus didn't see it as a challenge. Jesus gives John an answer. He responds responds, even though this doubt is coming from a prophet, someone that was prophesied about. But Jesus is firm in his response. It's important to know and live in the fact that Jesus responds to us when we have doubts. Jesus responds. It's not a blank wall. It's not a clean slate. Where do these responses come from now? Obviously, we can't just go talk to Jesus in physical form, right? We can't just go wherever John's disciples went. Here's how it comes. Through prayer. Through his word. And through silence and solitude that we so infrequently get. Those are three different ways that God speaks now. Jesus speaks now. If John the Baptist, as Jesus says, is greatest born of a woman, and he can doubt, we can also doubt. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up like doubt was like a dirty word. You just didn't say it. We need to continue to pursue Jesus during hardships that lead to doubt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be vulnerable for a second. I have a fight with doubt my entire life. And usually it's something traumatic that happens. So it would be like when I lost uh, my dad or my other father figure when my grandpa passed away. Or maybe when... I'm hurt by a trusted friend or when someone lets me down and I, I don't know what to do about it. And those are moments that I start asking why God questions. Those are why God moments. And John the Baptist is having one of those here. And Jesus responds with 
what do you hear and see? What do you hear and see? No judgment regarding the doubt. No judgment. Jesus responds, responds calmly but firmly. Jesus' response tells us about his priorities for his kingdom. The least of these have the good news. What's the list that Jesus has here? The blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, the poor, those in greatest need. Guess who didn't hear the good news yet? It wasn't the high priest. It wasn't the one you thought it was going to be. It wasn't the king. It wasn't Herod. It wasn't Caesar. But it was those in greatest need. John the Baptist being well-versed in Old Testament prophecy, and I don't think any of us are as well-versed as John probably was, so I'll leave it at that, would have known that these verses that I'm going to read in a second from the prophet Isaiah, that Jesus was referring to them in his response. Jesus almost directly quotes Isaiah 35, 4-6. And you notice there's some variations here, but it's pretty close. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Vengeance. With the recompense of God. He will come and save you. When the eye, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. John, knowing this passage, is still saying to himself, If you're God, where is the vengeance on my behalf? Where is it? You might have been told, told me to be strong and fear not, but where is your vengeance? And I think we think the same things many times. God, why did that drunk driver kill my friend? Where's your vengeance for the person that got away with something? Jesus is also alluding to Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. You'll notice this is also from Luke 4. When he says, in Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus talking about himself in, in Luke chapter 4. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Didn't he just say he was doing that? He's bringing good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. This is a prophecy about the coming Savior, the one that is to come, that is Jesus. But we could have missed something, just like John. John, from looking at these passages, seems to be wondering, where is the vengeance coming? When is it going to happen? When are you going to set things straight, God? Why does evil Herod begin to prosper? Let me insert what you said earlier. What I, what I asked you guys earlier, the question at the beginning, what are you doubting right now? If you're doubting if someone's going to come through or why this evil person has hurt you, insert it right there. Why does evil continue to prosper? Take out Herod. That's the, one of the main ways people doubt. Why does evil continue to prosper? If evil prospers, why does it matter that I seek God? And when John doubts... It's important to understand there's three kinds of doubt. And these, this is very important. If you're taking notes, this is the part that you want to take notes about because this is important. This is a whole life journey of doubt right here. Intellectual doubt. There's three different types. Intellectual doubt, 
There's emotional doubt and there's moral doubt. Three different types of doubt. They are not at all similar, so I'm going to explain what they are. Intellectual doubt is when our mind becomes unsure that the teachings of Christianity, the Bible, is true. How questions come from these moments. Like, how can God create and it's good, but then people do evil things? How? How could Jesus have risen from the dead? That's intellectual doubt. But I would say that one is actually the one that I think is less used in our culture anymore. The next two are the most subtle and dangerous. Emotional doubt is when we feel like Christianity isn't true. When we feel like Christianity isn't true. I mentioned earlier, like, why God moments. These are the why questions. It commonly happens when we have painful experiences. Why, God, did you have to leave me alone in this world? Why did you take my dad or my mom just when a relationship is getting better? Why do I fail at life? Why can't I get a break? God, why is life one long disappointment? Why do you give me these things to overcome? These tend to be the hardest questions to overcome. And they're the ones that have led many believers to run from Jesus instead of pursuing Jesus in their doubt. Then you have moral doubt. And this, uh, this one is actually very, very difficult. Moral doubt is when you're tempted to not believe Christianity because you don't want it to be true. And I know, like, some of you are like, well, why would I ever not want it to be true? Wait a second here. This is why you don't want it to be true. Because if it's true, you might have to change and move from knowing something to believing something. And that requires action. We tend to focus on things our culture does in this area. Like we say, we ask questions like this. Like, does God hate LGBTQ people? That's when we forget something. God loves people, but hates sin. Let me say that again. God loves people, but hates sin. So who decides what sin is? God. There's lots of sins. But only one Savior that comes for all sinners if they repent and believe. That's why we're currently in such a battle in our culture. We want to define what's right and wrong and see where the lines are when God already has. You might have struggled with one, two, or even all three types of doubt. You might be struggling with all types of doubt now. But Jesus is still there with you, responding, loving, caring, and leading you. Don't forget that. No matter what hole of doubt you feel like you're in, Jesus is still there responding. Our doubt should lead us to what we see and hear from God's word. That's, the, that's what it should propel us to and lead us to prayer. Lead us to lament at times. God, why are you taking action the way I want? <laughs> now that sounds really selfish, but let's be honest. Some of us have said that probably today. Our doubts remind us why we need God. Reminding those that follow Jesus of what people who don't follow Jesus are questioning and going through. You know that clip earlier? Maybe you you find yourself yelling like that guy in the clip I showed earlier. Maybe it's not verbal, like he was yelling out loud. But have you ever, like, had your thoughts like that? I mean, if we're honest, we all have a moment where our thoughts are like that. Like, God, why did this happen? I can't believe this. And maybe we keep it inside. God's listening. 
but we just have to pursue him. We can understand. We can understand because we struggle with those same doubts at times as others do. Instead of running from God, we need to run to him. Verse 6, this last verse, kind of feels weird in this passage, right? A little bit. But it teaches us a few important principles. If you go to the last verse, verse 6. Part of the blessing of not being offended by God is moving from doubt to belief. You're not offended by something you believe in. You definitely are going to be offended by something you doubt. We should not be offended by God's timing. It's God's timing, right? It's not our timing. John's like, break me out of prison. As far as the timeline goes, this is before God broke Paul out of prison in Acts. So he had no context for it. He just said, God, you said you would in the Old Testament. Waiting on God is not easy. There is a challenge here to re-examine who we think Jesus is and how he fulfills scripture. Who is Jesus? And in our doubt, we can bring our faith in alignment with Jesus Christ. So what? What does this all matter? And you may be asking, four verses? That's what you got from four verses? Well, there's a lot. (laughs) Because there's a lot going on there. What do we do with our doubt? What's the, the big application challenge? What's the one thing that if I walk away from church this week, I can do that's going to change my life? We will use our doubts to pursue Jesus. Let me say that again. We will pursue Jesus in our doubts. We will go towards him rather than away from him. We will use our doubts to pursue Jesus. That's what healthy doubt is. You walked in today and probably, I don't know if you'd ever heard the term healthy doubt. Healthy doubt is that we're going to use our doubts to pursue Jesus. Many of us walked in with doubt, and that's okay. We need to use our doubt to pursue Jesus. It's all about him, and life isn't about us. That's what my parents used to say, but the older I get, the more it seems that way. How are we forced to bend? Like, we just went through a series and we talked about being for Steuben County and what, what does that look like. We, as a church, this is what I'm asking you to commit to this morning. We are going to create a healthy, healthy culture of doubt. That's what we're going to be known for. We're going to be known for having a healthy culture of doubt that people come to church and are a part of us and we have doubts and we talk about those doubts and we pursue Jesus together calling others to use their doubts to pursue Jesus. Like Jesus, respond to others' doubts with grace. How does this connect to our church values? How can you bring people to Jesus? Talking about doubt, how do you... That seems like the opposite of bringing someone to Jesus. But it isn't. Because you understand your own doubts, you can help others understand their doubts. We bring people to Jesus because we understand their doubts. We're not, we're not going to say, well, I don't know why you think that way. We're going to say, I thought that way and then I, I found Jesus. How can you build into people like Jesus? Because you're pursuing Jesus in your doubt, you can help others pursue Jesus in their doubt. So we build into people to pursue Jesus in their doubt. That's what we do. 
This is, this is the only role we have. So what was that thing you thought about that you're doubting? No matter what it is, God definitely has the answer, and Jesus is waiting to respond if you go to him. Healthy doubt is always going to lead us to pursue Jesus. I'm, I'm going to pray, but I think it's important that as we leave today and we spend time with our mom and we talk to our moms and maybe we pray for our moms because we've lost them, that we remember that the God of the universe sent his son and when we doubt him, even though he created the universe, he stays with us, he responds to us and he loves us much like our moms did our whole life. And much like the most, the most loving person in your life, in your entire life, God of the universe, like way up here. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I just thank you and I praise you that, that you, when, when John the Baptist, someone, someone that knew Jesus, that saw what he was doing, that heard the prophecies, that was even related to him, doubted him. One thing he didn't do, God, was he didn't, he didn't just say, John, why are you doubting? John, I don't get it. No, God, Jesus responded. What do you see in here? What do you see in here? So God, let us dig into your word. Listen to your voice. Spend time in prayer. God, help us. Because we want to be a people that brings people to Jesus and builds into them like Jesus did. God, help us to create a healthy culture of doubt in our church. In the church that you have, have knit together and, and built. Help us to be a people that respond to others' doubt calmly and directing them back to pursue Jesus. And we say all this in his name. Amen.